Today's passage is from Revelation 12, 1 to 17. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God into his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so to, this morning we're continu continuing our series on the book of Revelation, and we're very excited to have Pastor Kevin Tran come and to share God's word with us. He's currently serving a father's house, which is at, uh, located at a Vietnamese alliance just down the block from us, 36, something like, sorry, 36th Avenue or so. 30, okay, 31st, <laughs> 31st uh, Avenue in Fraser. Um, and yeah, so Ke Kevin uh, was living in Calgary for about 10 years where he met his wife, uh, Elena, uh, who couldn't be with us here today. But uh, he was over there studying and then he served as a youth pastor at Westside Kings for a little bit before coming back. And he has a background also in counseling, uh, helping out uh, serving the youth uh, in our city and also in, in Calgary. Uh, recently, his church is also part of Pentasport and congratulations uh, from Lord's Love to uh, to Father's House for the three-peat championship. Uh, I say that really with joy. You can't tell with my face, but uh, congratulations to you. Uh, he pastors, there's two churches, uh, two teams that come from the church, come get some, and we got some. Uh, so congratulations to both your teams. But wait, let's give a very warm welcome, uh, LLC welcome to Pastor Kevin Tran. Yeah. Is this on? All right. Okay. Um, well, 
Thank you so much for having me. Um, just as I get set up here, give me a second. Um, yeah, I got thank you to uh, Pastor Doug for inviting me out. Um, I love the uh, relationship that is developing um, between our churches. Some might call it a rivalry, <laughs> um, but a good one and like one rooted in the church. Um, so thank you so much. It's, it's exciting. I think it's exciting to finally uh, be able to come visit. I've heard so many good things from Pastor Doug uh, about you guys. Um, just a couple of things about me. Like as he said, he's, uh, um, I've been married for about eight years now. I met my wife in Calgary. Um, we both met at uh, Ambrose University. And uh, it's, it's really cool being able to come back and uh, serve at the church that I grew up in. It's kind of weird at the same time. So like imagine um, like some of the folks that you went to high school with suddenly seeing you up here talking about the Bible in a, a new way. It's, uh, it's interesting, um, but uh, it's, it's, I think it's going well. I think it's going well so far. It's been a few months now. I started officially back in February, and um, it, it's been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so uh, if you guys, uh, yeah, you, we just heard, uh, heard it read so beautifully at uh, Revelation 12. We're going to be, that's where we're going to be today. And uh, you, you guys are in um, the series called Future in Focus, right? Right? Um, I, I love the sound of that. It's good alliteration. Um, my title for today is uh, Days of Future Past. Um, nothing to do with the X-Men movie, though. Just, it's just, I just thought it sounded cool. Um, and hopefully it'll make more sense as we go along. Um, but uh, as we go through this passage, um, my hope is that as we look at Revelation in this new light, I don't know where you, guys are, where you guys have been these past few weeks, but my hope is that as it gives clarity, as we look at the past, I hope that it gives clarity to the future, Right? By helping us understand our past a little bit more, by helping us see our past and our stories and how God has been working in the midst of it all along in a new way. And uh, for Revelation, it does this in an interesting way by pulling back the curtain, so to speak. You know, um, that's kind of the language that it uses. It peels back the curtain. In the the verse uh, that's just before the, um, our passage today, Revelation eleven nineteen, it says that then God's temple in heaven was opened, opened, lightning, and then there's rumblings, and then there's thunder, and then earthquake and hail. All these things happen all at once. All this, this terrifying sequence, really. The curtain is pulled back, and this is what John sees. And essentially, these are all trademarks of the presence of God himself, right? Which is ironic, to say the least. When you think about the presence of God, we don't usually think about this terrifying thing of lightning, thunder, and earthquake, and hail. Um, the, one of the words that we, we most often associate with the book of Revelation is the apocalypse, right? Like, it's like, oh my gosh, the... Ooh, they, they're going to get microchips, or um, the, the apocalypse is happening, and the, the world's going to war, and everything's going wrong, right? But we don't usually think about it in terms of the presence of God 
himself. And more literally, the word apocalypse, it actually refers to that idea of pulling back the curtain, of lifting up the cover, so to speak. Um, My theory in uh, relationships is that there's two kinds of people. Um, there's the, the kind of person that goes downstairs in the morning. Um, they, if they, for me, I work from home, right? And we, we go downstairs and we get to work, uh, sit at our desk and just start working away. And then the second kind of person that makes up the relationship is the person who comes downstairs and notices, why are all the blinds still closed? Like, how are you working in this lighting? Like, I, in my place, like, uh, we've got, we got pretty bright blinds, so it's like... For me, I'm that person. I just, I just get down and I get to work, and I, I don't notice that the blinds aren't open. Um, but my wife, like, this is a recurring thing for us in our marriage where, like, she's constantly reminding me. It's like, why don't you just open up the blinds? Let in some light. Like, this is, it's a beautiful day. Like, what are you doing? Um, and that's exactly kind of what John is trying to do for us through this passage as he reveals to us what's actually been going on in our past by looking at Scripture in a new way. He opens up the blinds. He lifts up the cover and shows us what we ought to see, really. Um, And seeing is a huge theme for the book of John, or all of his books, really. He's constantly calling us to behold, to look, and to notice something about God. And that's my hope for us today as we look at our passage, and uh, I'll just read it for us again as it says, and a great sign appeared in heaven. Um, Oh, yeah, we're already there. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems, which are crowns. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Uh, We'll we'll just pause there for now, right? And uh, I'm just going to pray for us as we dive in. Jesus... With you in the room right now, God, I pray that you would speak to each one of us. Speak to wherever we are at. Speak to the tough weeks that we've had. Speak to our struggles. Speak to our hurts. Speak to our joy as well. I pray that you would just frame it in your light, God, and give us eyes to see what you want us to see today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, first thing we want to see is see the past. As I said before, John opens up this passage and, and he points us to a great sign, right? In the Greek, literally a mega sign. This is 
huge. We don't want to miss this. I uh, just came back from Japan a few weeks ago, and boy, do they know how to put up a sign. Um, They know how to put up a billboard and have it just be in your face, and it's hard to miss, right? But there's just so many over there, and it's, it's a little disorienting, but that's besides the point. Um, So we don't want to miss this. We don't want to miss the sign. But what is the sign exactly? Are we talking about the future here? Are we talking about, like, uh, eventually we're supposed to see some dragon rise out of the sea and, like, this great war about to happen? Um, Not exactly. Not exactly. Um, Just to help us out a little bit, let me frame it in simpler terms for us. Uh, What is actually going on here? So we have this story of a woman who is about to give birth, right? Simple enough. And then we have an antagonist. An antagonist, we'll get into the description of this antagonist a little bit later, but this antagonist wants to kill that baby as soon as it is born. And then that baby, look at this, look at the description he is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's straight from Psalm 2. It's a messianic description. And then this woman is forced to flee. Is it sounding a little bit familiar? It's like we kind of celebrated or we kind of talked about this story like not too long ago. It was about six months ago, I think. Um, like right around December 25th-ish. Uh, <laughs> like, are, are, we, are you picking up what I'm dropping down? Uh, this, is, this, this is nativity. This is the story of Christmas, which is amazing, right? Like how, how about it? Christmas in June. Remember back in uh, COVID when we, we were just so bored out of our minds and we tried to make a thing out of like Christmas in July? Like I think that was, I think that's actually a thing though. Like it's, that's something they, they, they do in like the southern countries and continents and whatnot. Um, but yeah, so Christmas in June. Um, and so perfect. You guys are having baby dedications today. That was, that was beautiful. Um, like, what a day to be talking about this passage where like, there's a, a dragon hoping to devour. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, but yeah, so this is Christmas. That, that helps us a little bit as we look at this, uh, what's going on here. And little did we know that on that silent night, so to speak, that all of this was happening, right? That, we're, that there was a dragon, that there was something hoping to kill Jesus, baby Jesus, right? And uh, Mary, Mary just giving birth to Jesus. And uh, so what we know now is that this woman isn't so much a future woman, but actually is someone in the past. It is Mary herself. It is also Israel, um, as uh, she's described as wearing clothing as the sun, bearing the sun, moon, and the 12 stars. That's straight out of Joseph's dream in Genesis 37, right? Joseph has a dream where there's a sun, a moon, and 11 other stars with him presumably being the 12th star and all of them bowing before him. And then his father responds like, who, who do you think you are? Like, why would us, your mother and father, bow down to you? Um, 
But that's exactly what this passage is pointing us to, that this woman not only represents Mary not a, and not only represents Israel, as it says in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 18, 16 to 18, um, it says about Israel, as a pregnant woman approaches her time to give birth, thus we are before you, O Yahweh. We were pregnant. We writhed in labor. So this is Israel. Essentially, what the writer here is doing is he's bringing together multiple different prophetic ideas, and he's rolling them all up into one. And, and we also have echoes of Eve as well as this, this is a, the woman, essentially. That's what this is saying. This is the woman of all of history representing God's chosen ones, essentially. And not only that, but uh, let's talk about the dragon. Uh, we've got this, this pretty scary image, right? Like seven heads, ten horns. It's just speaking to the strength and the immensity of this dragon and the threat that it poses to God's chosen ones. And it does this by using in a similar way, lots of different ideas and bringing them all up, bringing it all together into one, um, using this idea of Old Testament apocalyptic imagery, drawing from Isaiah 27, drawing from Ezekiel, drawing from Daniel, as I'm sure you guys have talked about. But what does all this mean? Why all this imagery? What John is trying to do, what he is hoping to introduce us to and lift the curtain back on and reveal to us is the cosmic battle. This is the cosmic battle where essentially he's saying and when you look at yourselves, when you look at your stories, when your past and your life, your life leading up to today, reality is not what it seems. But actually, you, you don't have all of the information. You don't have all of the information. I mean... Have you ever made an assumption based on the information you had only to discover, like, like oh, I was way off base? Like, I, I, like me walking into a joke halfway and it's like, ha, 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 you'll just laugh along with everyone else. Um, or I can remember back when, like, 3D movies were a thing um, and they were just becoming a thing and uh, you, would, uh, you would go into your theater um, and, like, uh, suddenly you, you sit down and the trailers are coming up and then... Suddenly, um, for some reason, the screen's all blurry. It's like, what, what is going on? Oh, right, this is a 3D movie. So you've got to go all the way back out. You've got to go grab your glasses. And like, I remember like, when it first came out, like, when it was first becoming a thing, <laughs> how many times I, I forgot my glasses. So, I, so <laughs> what John is saying is, like, you don't have your glasses. You don't have the right lens. Um, you don't have all of the information to process what is happening to you. I love what uh, C.S. Lewis says here um, as he describes this experience of Christians. 
um, when we look at our lives and all the pieces that we are missing to, to the bigger picture. He says, we are like children pulling the levers of a vast machine of which most is concealed. We see a few little wheels that buzz around on this side when we start it up. But what glorious or frightful processes we are initiating in there, we don't know. And that's the bigger idea here. So often in life, in, as we walk along in faith, we go along without having all of the right information. And that is huge for how we respond to our daily struggles. It's huge for how we respond to what happens to us in life. And so John here, he's offering us exactly that, the information. He's offering us the bigger picture, a clearer lens. And he does so by revealing to us, using the story of Christmas and showing us what was actually happening on that day, the bigger ramifications of what was happening. And just to clarify for us, this isn't really, this isn't, this isn't over-spiritualizing, right? Like, that's not what we're talking about here. Like, we all know those people. Um, maybe you have them or see them on Facebook. <laughs> and, like, they, every little thing to them is, like, oh, the devil's really, is really hurting me right now, or the devil's really after me right now. Um, I probably shouldn't have uh, done that thing last night. Um, but actually, dude, like, you... That happened because you had 40 oysters at the casino last night. No, like, this is, <laughs> that's maybe way too specific of an example. But they just over-spiritualize everything, you know? Like, everything has a deeper meaning um, of, like, what God is doing or what, what the enemy is doing. But that's, that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is how, because of what happened, because of, because Jesus is born, what's happened now is that the door has now been opened. The curtain has been torn. It's been peeled back, and we see something more. And hopefully, when you consider your past and your own story, maybe there is something more to it in what God's doing in your life. Because I feel like some of us are under the, that very illusion where maybe God only begins once we do, right? Like, we think of our faith in terms of, like, okay, uh, this, is, this is God, for example. Oh, look at that. Like, little David, he prayed the prayer. Let's get, work, get to working in his life now. Um, Okay, Michael, why don't you set up his interview for his future? Why don't, and uh, Gabriel over there, why don't you set up that, that future romance for him? And we'll, we'll just help him along the way now. So he's, he's on our side now, right? Like we think that, we think of our faith in those terms of like, okay, I'm on God's side now. Maybe God's on my side and he'll start working for me. He'll start putting the pieces together for me. That's an illusion. 
That is missing the point of the grander, bigger story of the Bible of, that we join into, essentially. If we're looking at our past and our stories only through our eyes, and we're missing the bigger picture, then, of course, we're going to misinterpret everything. We're going to read into things in the wrong way, and it's going to lead us down the wrong path in terms of interpreting Scripture. But the grander story here that John is pointing us to is that when you interpret it the right way, the truth here is that the dragon, this great adversary to faith, to the work of God and what God is doing, he has always been after the woman. He has always been after the woman's child. And this is true. If you look at it, at, at Israel's history, you look at it all, history all throughout humanity, this has been true at every juncture. You, you can go all the way back to the beginning. Go back to Genesis. What does God say? I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so right off the, right off the bat, we have this, this adversary set up where there's this enmity between the woman and the serpent, the dragon, this adversary. Flip, flip over a couple more pages. We have the story of Cain and Abel. Abel, God's favored one. And suddenly, for some reason, Cain gets the idea that I got to kill Abel. And who does he get the idea from? God says, Satan is crouching at your doorstep, Cain. And you have, within yourself, you have the power to overcome that. You can overcome that temptation to give in to what Satan wants. But sure enough, he gives in, and he kills his brother. But by the grace of God, Adam and Eve, they have another child named Seth, right? And the, the promise continues through Seth. And then a few generations later, we have the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob, God's favored one, once again. And Esau, the brother, Loses his blessing to Jacob. So he goes after God's favored one. Once again, a few pages later, the story of Pharaoh. Gets the idea to kill all the babies, all the Israelite babies in one day. And somehow, God's promise continues. A few pages later, David and Saul. We, I'm sure we all know the story. Saul gets jealous of David and gets the idea to kill David. I got to go after him. David is forced to flee to the mountains. Um, David, being God's 
anointed one, God's chosen one. The dragon has always been after the child. And then finally, skip a few generations of terrible kings and Israel literally on the brink of extinction in exile. Somehow, this nation continues on and now we have the baby, the baby that's in our story for today. But notice, by the way, this, what's special about this baby. I like how Daryl Johnson, he puts it in his book, uh, Discipleship on the Edge. He says, notice, by the way, that John does not use the word sign with reference to the child. The woman is a sign. The dragon is a sign, but not the child. The woman points beyond herself to another reality. That's what a sign is supposed to do. The dragon points beyond himself to another reality. The child does not point beyond himself to another reality. He is the reality. And this is what we see. This is what John wants us to see as we understand our past, understand the story that's been going on all along, that this isn't new. What you're facing in life right now, that the, the great fire and tribulation that you're facing is not new. It actually has been all throughout history. And hopefully that helps us understand our future. But the passage continues. Things get worse. As it says in uh, verse 7, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent. There's the language of Genesis once again. Who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, devil from diabolos, Greek, Satan, Satan, Hebrew, that's the whole world in that day and age. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. The second thing I want us to see here is to see the victory, really, which is so hard to see when you're in those moments. What God, or what John wants us to see here is that how, is how God has been moving all throughout history, but in this portion, what's evident is that so has the enemy. The enemy has been at work, so much so that there's now a war, a war in heaven. Like, that's how bad it gets. 
Like, think about that. Like, you, you want to go to heaven, and when you get there, you don't expect there to be a war. Like, like that, that, that'd be, that would kind of suck. It's like, you're hoping for peace and like prosperity and all that, but like, you get to heaven, and there's a war. But what kind of war is this exactly? Well, John here, he gives us a clue. He says, the deceiver of the world. That's the enemy that we face. He is the deceiver, the father of lies, as Jesus says. What We want to talk about the enemy's playbook, right? Essentially, it boils down to this. The enemy has always been trying to unspiritualize the world. If what we're talking about is like breaching on over-spiritualizing the world, then the devil has been trying to do the exact opposite. He wants to unspiritualize it. First Peter 5.8, it reminds us, your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What the devil is trying to do in this passage is that he's trying to close the lid on revelation. Whereas God's trying to open up the gates and tear down the veil, the devil wants to put it back up. He wants to close the lid on revelation. He wants to distort the truth. And what's the truth in this passage? You look at Israel's history, you look at our history, of how we got to this point over 2,000 years later. The truth is that even when God's promises hang by a thread, his promises remain true. Even when we think all hope is lost, God is still faithful. Even when we think that we've gone too far and there's n- the mercy well has run dry, that God's arms are long enough to reach out to us and eventually... The baby is born. Hope is alive, breathing, is growing. And because of that, Satan, our great adversary, who's been after God's chosen people all this time, he has lost the battle. So that's the truth. Second thing is Satan Here in this passage, it shows us how Satan is making the best use of what time he has left because he knows his time is up. That's the good news. But the hard news for us is that so should we. So should we make best use of the time that we have left. Colossians 4, 5 Paul puts it this way, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, of the time. Why? Because we don't have much time left. That's the story here. 
And for that reason, who was in that announcement earlier? Said, don't waste your life, right? That's the message here. Don't waste it. Don't waste the time that you have left. Like, think about it in these terms, like even Satan, he's a more faithful believer than we are sometimes. He makes good use of the time that God's given him. He's not wasting it. He is ready to pounce. He's lurking like a predator, um, like it says in 1 Peter 5a. And we don't waste it, though. How do we not waste it? But how we don't waste it by how we respond to chaos, how we respond to tribulation and trials. Because the response here that John calls us to is not one of despair, but actually it's one of rejoice. That's the calling. Because think about where they are right now. This is written to the early church that is facing heavy persecution. This is written under the emperor, emperor Domitian, right? One of the worst emperors ever, I gotta say. Like, he, you, he made a big deal out of not just temple worship, but emperor worship. He took it an, up another notch where you gotta, you gotta confess your loyalty, not just to the nation, but to him specifically, and that's the challenge for these Christians. They're under heavy persecution for saying, no, my allegiance is to Jesus alone. And that's why they're being accused. As it says in one of the verses, it says, the accuser of our brothers, who, by the way, again, Love not their lives even unto death. That's how bad it is. War in heaven and your life is being threatened. Here's the story. Essentially, it's not easy to be a Christian. And the truth is that it never has been. At least if we're doing things right, I feel. If we're doing things right, then we got a target on our backs. And there will be heavy persecution. But even on a more subtle sense, I wonder about those in the room who are struggling even with just the idea of being Christian. With even just the title of it. Like, imagine how my life would be if I wasn't a Christian. Like, I would, I'd be so much more happy, perhaps. Like, I would have so much more friends. I could go out on a Friday night with them. I can do whatever with them. Like, how much more easy would it be for me to just put it to the side? Or just leave it to Sunday and every other day of the week, like, that's something else. That, that, is, that is a whole other ball game. How many are just struggling with that idea 
of holding on to the faith. Like, not like we're going through the same kind of heavy persecution that this early church was going through. But the struggle has always been there. And it's going to be there right up until the end. And that's the question of, that John really is facing. It's like, what do I say to these people? Like, I'm supposed to be their leader? Like, what am I supposed to say to them? How do you, how do you call people to hope, to joy, to rejoice in their Savior in the midst of this struggle? And yet, that's exactly what he says. Rejoice. Why? The reason that he gives is clear. He says, rejoice. Why? Because your accuser has been thrown down. That, that is huge. He repeats this idea of the enemy being thrown down six times. The Greek word there literally translates to bounced. Like, I love that idea. Like, the devil was bounced out of heaven. Like, there's a bouncer in heaven, and he gets kicked out, you know? I, uh, have you ever gotten kicked out of, or bounced? Don't, don't put up your hands. But that's essentially what happens. The accuser, that, you know that voice that you struggle with each day who brings on anxiety, who points out all your flaws, who tempts you each day and night? He has been thrown down. And that's the hope. That's the hope as we keep on reading. It continues here in verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given, given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. The second, or the last thing I want us to see. You see, the, we've seen the past. We've seen how it plays out. We've seen the victory in Jesus being born. The last thing is we want us, I want us to see the ending. And essentially, this is kind of talking about the present as well. He's talking about the present in a way that's meant to point us to the truth that the story is not over yet. As it says, this great adversary, he makes war on the rest of those, this woman's offspring. This is the cosmic battle that we have stepped into. This is what's going on. The trouble, though, is how do we make it through? 
How do you stay faithful? How do you rejoice? Let me go back to verse 11. This is how those who were faithful stood their ground. It says, they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Notice what John doesn't see here. These Christians, they don't conquer their enemies by the quality of their preaching. They don't conquer their enemies by the quality of their worship and their sound and whatever media, the lights. You don't conquer the enemy by our Facebook posts or our Instagram posts. It's by the blood of the Lamb. Keep the blood in mind. The blood remains the blood all throughout history. And what I mean by that is that Jesus' blood continues to cover you day in and day out. That's the hope. That's the hope that silences the accuser, that silences the lies, keeps in mind the bigger picture of what God is doing. And so, just as a close here, if you are finding yourself in that place where it's just like, it's a genuine struggle right now, where life Life, even in the church, is especially difficult. I feel like John is suggesting something here, and he's saying that you may be doing something right. Not that that's licensed to be a jerk or something, like, like, like you know, that, that Christian that just bashes the truth on people. No. But you may be doing something right if, as it says, you keep the commandments of God and you hold to the testimony of Jesus. And then, having seen the past and keeping in mind the victory and seeing the ending that is the end of all endings, that is the hope of all hopes, I want to just just leave us with the question as we wrestle with this passage. Question is, what defines your present? Right? What defines your everyday? Is this all there is? Is what you see on the surface all there is to your experience? And that's it. I don't see how God can work in that. Because let me remind us of the truth here. The truth is that things are not as they seem. Things are not as they seem if you have the eyes to see them. If you're willing to take that moment to behold, to take notice of what God is doing, to see the past, do the dirty work, And then 
My hope is that as we see the hope in this passage, we can truly say, as John says in another passage, that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. See the past, see the future, see the victory, and see the end. All these things come together to help us frame our present. Let me pray for us. Lord God, you hold our future in your hands. And not only that, but the truth in this this grand story that we've been given the chance to see and peek into is that you are good overall. You are good. And for those who are struggling right now through their testimony of seeing how you might fit into their lives, I pray that they would be able to see even more. They would see the victory. They would see how the accuser has been silenced. That there's hope in your name. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.